0: Spend a few moments in the one hundred twentieth psalm. If you want to turn over there, I want to thank you for being here on this Monday night. I want to thank the church for folks for feeding me today, and got to spend a little time with the pastor and his wife and them boys. And uh, I appreciate the pastor and his wife. But as long as them boys show up, I'm happy. Amen. And I like to talk to those boys; they're a blessing. And uh, thank you for your kindness. This week, kind things folks have said, and I appreciate all the singing this week. Now, a lot of time, my family is with me, and we do all the singing, and I love to hear my family sing, but I enjoy hearing some other folks sing. The this, singing's this been a blessing to my heart. All the music this week, every special, blessed my heart, and I appreciate it. <clears throat> I've got a little bit of a cough tonight, that COVID stuff gave me this cough, and I can't seem to get rid of it. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens. Once I get started, I'll do a little better. Psalm 120 starts a series of psalms in the middle of our book of psalms called the Songs of Degrees. They start in Psalm 120, go down through Psalm 134. There are 15 of these Songs of Degrees and uh, some interesting things that we can find in them. But I, I just want to spend a few moments tonight in this first Song of degree. Now I'll read it to you, and then I'll say some opening remarks so that you don't have to stand during all that. Psalm 120 said, A song of degrees. In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and He heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given unto thee? Or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. Woe is me that I sojourn in Meshach that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. My soul hath long dwelt with them, with him that hateth peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, Father, we are in need of Thee tonight. I pray You help us in the preaching of the Word of God. I pray again, Lord, as I always pray, that You'll be glorified by what takes place in this sermon, and then, Lord, by what takes place in our lives as the result of it. And Lord, if you get glory, we'll be helped. And we need a lot of help. I pray you'd help this preacher. I pray you'd help the folks that are listening. I pray, Lord, that what happens in our hearts would help the world because of what you've done for us. Lord, you're a wonderful God, a sweet Savior, and a precious Lord. You've been so much better to us than we deserve. As the song said, Lord, you've given us grace. and You've given us mercy. And you've given us hope. Lord, we look forward to that day when we'll get to see You face to face in that wonderful land. Help us now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. These psalms from Psalm 120 down to Psalm 134 are called songs of degrees. The word degree means an ascension or an elevation. Uh, Some would say a journey to a higher place. There's some discussion about why these psalms are are ordered here in this way. Some believe that Hezekiah arranged these psalms, although he was probably not the author of these psalms. Some believe these psalms were sung by the children of Israel as they came back from the captivity. Some believe that they were sung by the children of Israel as they climbed up 15 steps in the temple. I don't know if that's true or not. I like the idea of it. I like the idea of coming to the house of God with the Word of God on your mind. Think about this. If you come to church tomorrow night, you get in the car and Dad looks over at Mom and according to Psalm 120 said, In my distress I cried unto the Lord and He heard me. Then Mom looks back at Dad according to Psalm 121 and said, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. And then the youngins in the back seat chime in and say, I was glad, Psalm 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That would be a good way to come to church. Matter of fact, if that's why these psalms were used or how they were used, I'm reminded the Bible said when the Queen of Sheba came to see Solomon and see all, she'd heard all these things about him. And the Bible said when she saw his ascension by how he entered into the house of God, there was no more spirit left in her. She is overwhelmed by the way he went to church. You'll be a lot better to come to church that way than hollering at one another and say, well, how come you weren't ready in time and why didn't you wear this and I didn't get to do that? That's the way it is sometime, isn't it? And that's probably why it takes us a while to get into worship when we get here. But the psalmist, I don't know if that's what happened here. It may be. Uh, some believe that these psalms were sung as the children of Israel headed up to the feast days. Uh, three times a year the men were to go and go to Jerusalem and worship the Lord in an unusual way. And some believe these Psalms were for that reason. I don't know why they were written. I don't know why they were uh, uh, categorized this way. But I just want to take a moment tonight and look at this first Psalm. And I'm going to title it like this. I'm going to call it Distress in the First Degree. Distress in the First Degree. The psalmist begins right off the bat and tells us that he is distressed. If you look the word up, it means uh, to have an adversary. It means to be in adversity. It means to be afflicted. It means to have anguish. It means to have tribulation. And it means to have trouble. Don't none of that sound good to me, does it to you? He is distressed. I tell you, we live living in distressing times. It's easy to get distressed in the day that we live. What's the psalmist distressed about? Well, he's going to tell us, and I'll get into it in a little more detail in a moment. But basically, he's going to tell us that his distress results from the fact that he's surrounded. Now watch what he says in verse 7. Woe is me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. Now if you look on a map, Meshach was above Israel. Kedar was below Israel. Meshach was a son of Jephthah, the father of the Gentiles. Uh, Kedar was a son of Ishmael, the father of the Arab peoples. And if you study them, we'll find that they were a warlike people. They were, they were a people that, were, that you couldn't count on, that you couldn't trust. They were a people that were deceptive. And the psalmist says, I'm surrounded by them. Now, I don't know if he's talking about physically, he's got Meshach up here in Kedar... Or if he's simply saying that in the place where I live, the people that surround me have the attributes and the characteristics of the people of Meshach and the people of Kedar. Whichever he means, he's telling us I'm surrounded. And he's saying it like this. He would, I think he would imply to us that he's surrounded by people who don't love what he loves. He's surrounded by people who don't believe what he believes. He's surrounded by people who don't have the same Ethical standards that he has. He's surrounded by people who don't follow the same moral code that he follows. He is certainly surrounded by people who don't worship the same God that he worships. Kind of sounds like the way we're living today, doesn't it? You go to work and as I talked about last night, a little bit about being that one. You go to work and there's a good chance that nobody else in the office where you work cares anything about God. You go to work and try and hold to a biblical standard and there's a very good chance that everybody around you will think you're a bigot or that you're prejudiced or that you're unkind or that you're unloving because you believe the Bible. I, I read a little thing today. Uh, this fella, I, I shouldn't have read it. I should have left it alone. Uh, when I saw the title of it, but he was talking about how bad uh, fundamental independent Baptists are, how they're uh, how they're narrow minded, and uh, he had all kind of things, and they're the problem with the world today. You and I are the problem. That's what the world thinks that we're the problem with society today. And so here is the psalmist. He's in this in this unusual position, this undesirable position. Now there are a couple ways we could look at this passage. We could look at it in a prophetic aspect, because he's going to talk about liars surrounding the people of God. And there is a prophetic aspect of this psalm that deals with the Antichrist, the lying Antichrist, gathering the nations of the world against Israel to bring them to destroy Israel. But I don't want to look at that tonight. I want to look at a practical aspect, because really what the psalmist is going to do in this passage, it is distress. He's going to give us some instructions about how to live a Christian life in an unchristian world. I want to live a Christian life. I want to live a life that brings glory to God. I want to live a life that will please the Lord and honor the Lord. Somebody said that fellow was talking today i got to get this out of my mind, get over it. But he's talking today about these fundamental Baptists and all their rules and all their regulations. I'm going to tell you what we're trying to do, friend. And I think you know this. I'm preaching to the choir. We're not trying to put regulation or limit on your life. We want your life to glorify God. Uh, What rules I follow, I follow because I want my life to bring glory to God. I want the Lord. I'd rather please God than please the world. And I want to please Him. And so I do what I do. That I might please the one, hallelujah, who gave Himself on the cross of Calvary to pay for my sin. I owe Him. I'm indebted to Him. I want Him to be pleased with me. Don't you want the Lord to be pleased with you? You know, the truth of the matter is, we ought not care whether the world is pleased with us or not. Uh, the, uh, the apostle said, uh, whether it be right, uh, whether it be right to obey men or obey God, you judge. They said, you make a determination about that. We've already made up our mind. We're going to please God. We're going to honor God. We want God to be happy with the way that we live. Amen. We ought to want to please him. What he paid for us and what he did for us. So the psalmist here is going to talk about distress. I'm going to give you three things and then when I get done with my, three, my normal three things I've got two little postscripts to put on the end. You know sometimes you write a letter and you get done and then you say you know I should have said this and you put a little uh, postscript down on the end a little P.S. I've got a couple of those at the end. But I want you to notice three things in this psalm tonight. I want you to notice first of all the details of his distress. He's told us in general terms, what his distress is. But he's going to get more detailed about it in this passage. He's going to tell us, number one, he's distressed because he is surrounded by craftiness. Now look what he said. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord and He heard me. Now watch verses 2 and 3. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? The psalmist is surrounded by liars. Craftiness. Now, look at these words. Lying lips, deceitful tongue, and false tongue. Lying, deceitful, and false. When you go home, maybe you could do this. Get you out of Strong's Concordance. Look up these Greek words. Here's what you'll find out. The lies that the psalmist is surrounded by the liars are not just people who exaggerate. They're not just people who embellish. They're not just somebody who leaves out a little bit by accident. Every one of these words has to do with treachery. And what the psalmist is saying, he said, I'm not having trouble with people who are just stretching the truth, although that's wrong. I'm not having trouble with people who are exaggerating. I'm having trouble with people who look me right square in the eye and tell me a lie. They know it's a lie and they're telling it to me to try and get something over on me. Man, I'm telling you, that's where we live today. Look you right in the eye and tell you a bald-faced lie. They know it's a lie. They know it's not true. But they're just going to keep repeating it. And you say, well, preacher, where's that come from? Well, here's what Jesus said. He was talking to the religious crowd in John 8. He said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in truth, for there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. You know where lies come from? They come from the devil. He's the father of lies. He is the instigator of falsehoods and of lying. That's what the devil is. He won't tell you the truth he'll tell you a lie. You remember when, when Jesus was going to go to the cross and he'd been talking about it and Peter's standing there and Peter rebuked him and said, be it far from thee. Uh, here's what Jesus said to Peter. He didn't say get thee hence Peter. He said get thee behind me Satan. For thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God. But the things that be of men. What he was saying was Peter that thought didn't come from you. That thought came straight out of hell. That thought came from the devil. And the liars are powered and instilled by the spirit of the devil and the antichrist. And we're facing them today. He is surrounded by craftiness. Now it's interesting where Psalm 120 is found. Think about it in your Bible. Following Psalm 119. What is Psalm 119 about? It's about the truth. The Word of God. When you read Psalm 119, the truth will be called His Word, His Law, His Ways, His Testimonies, His Statutes, His Commandments, His Judgments. And Psalm 119 will tell you if you follow them, you'll be blessed and upright and clean and rejoicing. You'll have liberty and understanding. But immediately following the truth about God's Word we have the psalmist surrounded by liars. Because people hate the truth. And the devil hates the truth. He doesn't want the truth to be told. He doesn't want to be heard. Why? Because He wants you to be His servant. He wants you to be His slave. And He knows that the Bible said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He knows that truth sets people free. He knows that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So the devil will propagate lies, so that you cannot have liberty and freedom in Christ. It's like that fella. I never should have read that thing today. It's like that fella talking about Bondage and all this sort of stuff but I read in my Bible in the one of the Epistle of Peter's while they promised them liberty they themselves are the servants of corruption and you know what the devil will say he'll say kick off the harness kick out of the traces just go do what you want to however you want whenever you want live whatever you want the way you want to live look at what you want to look at listen to what you want to listen to have some liberty throw off all your restraints but what you don't know is when he tells you that he's trying to get you out from under the protection of the truth of God so that He can enslave you for the rest of your life. So the psalmist says he's surrounded by craftiness. He's not only surrounded by craftiness he's surrounded by contention. Look what he said in verses 6 and 7. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am for peace but when I speak they are for war. The psalmist said, I'm as, I'm as kind to him as I can be. I'm as peaceable as I can be. But they don't want peace. They want a fuss. They want to fight. They don't want love. They want hatred. He said, I'm surrounded by it. You know what he's saying about them? He's saying what Paul said in the New Testament when he asked us to pray. And he asked us to pray this way. He said, pray that we would be delivered from wicked." And unreasonable men. Now look at me. Those two things always go together. Wickedness and unreasonableness. If you live a wicked life, you will sooner or later lose the ability to reason. And we see that in society today. Passing laws, uh, pushing agendas that make no sense. They make no sense. They won't even accomplish what they say they're trying to accomplish. Why are they doing it? They've been so wicked, they cannot reason any longer. Cannot recognize. I remember I had a... I, had a, about, I just about said preacher. And he was. I had a teacher when I was in 8th grade. He was a social studies teacher. His name was Mr. Knobloch. Anybody in here named Knobloch? If you think of the name Knobloch and try and picture in your mind what a fellow named Knobloch would look like you probably get in your mind a pretty good picture of him. Big old strong husky fella. And he used to preach to it. Excuse me. He used to teach us in school. But I'm telling you, I was not saved at that time. But When I look back at it, I believe, I believe he was a Christian and he was doing as much preaching as he was teaching. I still remember some of the things he said to us in that social studies class. But I remember one thing he said now. He said, young man, he said, if you tell a lie long enough, you come to believe your own lie." Amen. Wicked and unreasonable. Implacable cannot be moved. You know, there was a historian, a wicked, ungodly historian, and and he said, I can't think of his name right now, but he said this, he called God, he called himself an agnostic, and he called God the blind, implacable hostility. He said, if there is a God, I call him the blind, implacable hostility. In other words, he can't see. And He can't be moved or touched. And He's always angry. Well, I didn't find that God in the Bible. I find a God whose eyes are in all the earth. Beholding the good and the evil. I found a God whose eyes run to and fro but to show mercy on them that love Him. I found a God that the Bible said all things are naked and open with Him with whom we have to do. I found a God who's not blind. I also found a God who's not implacable because the Bible said He's touched With the feelings of our infirmities. And the Bible said of Jesus, He looked upon the crowd and He had come, He was moved with compassion, seeing them as sheep having no shepherd. And I also found out He's not hostile. You know what the Old Testament prophet said? He said about judgment to the Lord. He said judgment is your strange work. It is strange to you. And then he said this. He said, He delighteth in mercy. I have not found God to be blind. I have not found God to be implacable. And I have not found Him to be hostile. I have found Him to be loving and gracious and merciful and kind. Amen. A stronghold in the day of trouble. But I have found some folks to be hostile and implacable and blind. The psalmist said, I'm surrounded with it then he says the third thing. I may never get through this tonight, but we'll go as far as we can. He's not only surrounded by craftiness and contention, but here's the thing maybe that would bother him the most, and though he does not mention it, it is implied here. He's surrounded by conquerors. Now what do you mean? Look what he said in verse 5 again. Woe is me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. Now if you study your Bible... Here's what Ezekiel said about Meshach. He said they caused their terror in the land of the living. Here is what Isaiah will say about Kedar. He'll talk about the glory of Kedar and the mighty men of the children of Kedar. Now, I want you to think about the psalmist. He's trying to live for God. He's surrounded by people who hate God, who are lying, they're crafty, they're contentious, They want war. But here's the thing that I think would make it hardest of all. They seem to be winning. This crowd that does nothing but tells lies in this passage, This crowd that just wants to fight no matter how peaceable you are with them. They seem to be coming out on top. Now that's bothersome right there. That just don't seem right, does it? It doesn't seem right when we think about it. That if you if you lie and you cheat, if you do that and if you underhand it, you're not supposed to come out on top. You're not supposed to win. But they seem to be winning. And it's distressing to the psalmist. And it's distressing to us sometimes. When it looks like the devil's got the upper hand. You ever feel that way? Looks like he's coming out on top. Looks distressing. But there's a second thing I want you to see. The psalmist is not only going to tell us the details of his distress, he's going to tell us where he finds deliverance in the midst of his distress. I'm glad no matter how much distress is around us, there is deliverance and help from God. Amen. There's all Hey, there's good news from a far country. (laughs) Hallelujah. God's still on the throne. What will the psalmist say? Here's what he'll say. He'll tell us where he finds deliverance. He starts right off the bat. Right after he tells us he's in distress, he tells us where he's going to get some help. He said, in my distress, watch it now, I cried unto the Lord. Now I get the idea that these folks that wanted war, he said, I am for peace But when I speak, they are for war. So apparently when He spoke to them, they did not listen. Apparently when He talked to them, they did not care. And so the psalmist said, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go somewhere and talk to somebody that I know is interested in what I have to say. I'm going to go somewhere and talk to somebody who wants peace with me. You know what he said? I may be surrounded by lies, but I'm going to go somewhere where I can talk to somebody who's going to tell me the truth every time without exception and without fail. Where is that? It's in the prayer closet, friend. It's down there. It's down there under that tree where you pray. It's in that corner of your household where you pray. It's in that closet where you pray. It's on that sheepskin, maybe it is, where you pray. I don't know where you go when you have to have some time alone with God, but wherever it is... When you go in there, you know what? You'll get somebody who listens to what you have to say, who has interest in what you have to say. You'll get to talk to somebody who cares about what you have to say. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He will listen. He said, I'm going to cry unto the Lord. I'm going to pray. Let's go ahead and pray. You say, preacher, I feel so small. I feel so insignificant. I feel as though I can't do anything well, I know a God, and here's what he said. This proverb, a writer of proverbs said, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord as a river's of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. I was looking today in Isaiah chapter 10, and it talked about Sennacherib, and it talked about all those little towns that he took over on his way to Jerusalem. And God said when he got to Jerusalem that God was going to turn him and set Basically said, I'm going to send him packing. And that's exactly what he did. It was as though God had a hook in the nose of Sennacherib and brought him here and brought him there and brought him here. But when God was done with him, God sent him packing back home. That angel came and slew 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. You want to get some help in your distress? Get in your prayer closet and talk to Jesus about your trouble. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He will listen. The psalmist said, I'm going to go and talk to the Lord. And then he not only said this, he said, "I not only will I cry to the Lord, but he said to us, secondly, he said, when I cry to Him, I'll have confidence that He hears me. Watch what He said. I cried unto the Lord, and He heard me. Said, he 'Well, said, well, nobody will listen. Oh, well, somebody will listen. God will listen. You know, in another place, the psalmist used this language about his prayer life. He said, when I called on the Lord, he said, He inclined... His ear unto me. I have two grandsons. Uh, Jedediah is five and Joshua's uh um, like sixteen months right now. And uh Jedediah's, they live in West Virginia, and he has developed a West Virginia accent. I was born and raised in the state of Michigan. I've lived in Indiana for a while now. Sometimes I have trouble with that West Virginia accent. They were at church, and when they come home from church, his mother said, Now, Jedediah, what would you learn about in Sunday school? He said, I learned about Isaac and the whale. She said, You mean Jonah and the whale? No, Mama, Isaac and the whale. She said, You mean the whale that swallowed Jonah? He said, No, we learned about Isaac that got water out of the whale. My son-in-law, who's from West Virginia, said, I understood what he meant the whole time. But Jed will come and talk to me. He'll get excited. He'll stutter just a little bit. And he'll talk in that West Virginia drawl. And I can't figure out what he's saying. And so here's what I do. I incline my ear and get as close to him as I can And I say, now say that again. And when I incline my ear unto Him, it's because I'm very interested in what He has to say. The psalmist said, I went into the prayer closet. I cried unto the Lord, and the Lord didn't say, I don't have time for that. I don't care about that. He said, here's what God in heaven did when I went to the prayer closet and talked to Him. God went like this. I want to catch every word of that. Could I put it like this? Somebody wrote a song about it one time. If it's important to you, it's important to him. (laughs) If it's important to my grandson to tell me, it's important for me to hear it. And I believe when I get in my prayer closet and talk to the Lord, when I have something on my heart, I believe He wants to have it on His heart and He will incline His ear and listen to what I have to say. Now sometimes, we don't think He hears us. And the reason we don't think so is because He didn't answer right away the way we thought He would. Do you remember when the Cyphro-Phoenician, Matthew 15, came to Jesus said, Lord, she said, Jesus, thou Son of David, have mercy on me, for my daughters grievously vexed with the devil. Do you remember what His response was? What's the next verse say? And He answered her, not a word. And you look at that and say, boy, that don't seem right. But wait a minute now. Let's think about what it didn't say. The Scripture does not say, and he heard, not a word. It does say he didn't answer right then, but it doesn't say he didn't hear. He did hear. And in a little while, she'll call him Lord, and she'll, he'll say to her, it's not meat to give the children's bread to dogs. And she'll say, truth, Lord, but the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the Master's table, and Jesus will marvel at her faith, and she will get an answer. Now, she didn't get an answer when she thought she should have, but it wasn't because he didn't hear her. It's just because it wasn't time. You say, well, preacher, I prayed and God didn't hear me. How do you know that? Oh, he heard you. He'll answer when the timing is perfect for the answer. So we're just going to trust Him. The psalmist, I don't see where the psalmist got an immediate answer. But he said, He heard me. He heard me. So there is crying to the Lord. That's part of His deliverance. There is having confidence in the Lord. Then there is considering the end. Now watch what he says. Again, in verse 2 and 3 and 4. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue What shall be given unto thee? Or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. Now think about what the psalmist just said. He just said to that crowd, the the liars, he said, this thing ain't over. He said, you're doing what you're doing, but there's something going to be done to you before it's over and he said what is it going to be it's going to be sharp arrows of the mighty read the Old Testament read the psalmist when he talks about how the enemy, the enemies of God shot their words out like an arrow but it said God was going to turn it around and shoot arrows back at them and then he talks about coals of juniper I was reading a book about these coals or about the holy land and the fellow talked about those coals of juniper they'd take those roots and they'd build a fire and then they would cover those coals up and they'd come back uh, I can't remember now if it was months later. It seemed like it was several months later. They'd come back and those coals were still had heat going underneath that dirt where they'd had that fire going. So when he talks about coals of juniper, when he talks about sharp arrows of the mighty, he's talking about something that comes immediate. And then when he talks about or something that happens, uh, in a short span of time, And then when he talks about coals of juniper, he's talking about a judgment that is lingering, a fire that goes on and on. And he says, you know what? It looks like you're winning, but you're not going to win. It looks like the enemies of God are winning, but they're not going to win. It looks like the liars are winning, but it's not going to win. He gets some comfort. He gets some deliverance in thinking about this fact. Considering the end of the thing, it's not over yet. It's not over. It's not over. You know where I read in my Bible? I read the devil that deceived them is cast in the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are and the smoke of their torment shall rise up forever and ever. You say, preacher, it looks like the devil's winning. Oh, it may look that way. But it is a mirage, friend. It is. It is not true. The devil is not going to win. God's going to win. You've read the book. You've read the book. You know who comes out on top. God will win. God will win. God, the sovereign God of the universe will win before it's over. So he finds deliverance. Now because he found deliverance, he's made some decisions. You and I ought to make some decisions tonight in the midst of our distress. Here's what he decided. First of all, he decided that he would not allow himself to be comfortable with all this wickedness. Look what he said in verse 5. Woe is me. Look what he said in verse 6. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I won't take time to go into all this, but I'll just remind you how often the Bible uses this word long in reference to suffering, to uh, to discomfort. I'm reminded, I think it's Psalm 13. Mr. Spurgeon called Psalm 13, I think it's Psalm 13, the howling psalm. Because the psalmist is in trouble and he keeps saying, how long, how long? How long? And it's as though he's howling. He called it the howling psalm. And so what the psalmist is saying is, I'm in the middle of this trouble and I just refuse to be comfortable with it. I refuse to just get along. I refuse to just say, well, there's nothing I can do about it so I'm just going to have to live with it. I refuse to do that. It's not a time for God's people to say, well, we can't change anything. We're just going to have to live with it. It's not a time to get comfortable with sin. He said, I refuse to be comfortable. He said this, he'll not allow himself to be compromised. Verse 7, look at it again. I'm for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. You think how easy it would have been for the psalmist to say, if they're for war, I'm going to be for war. If they're going to lie, I'm going to lie. If they're going to do wrong, I'm going to do wrong. I'm going to give back as good as I got. But that's not the, that is not what God said a Christian is supposed to do. We're supposed to render unto no man evil for evil. We're to overcome evil with good. Now look at me. We cannot use the tactics that the world uses. Paul said in Romans chapter 3, I think I'm, I'm, I'm losing it in my mind, but I think my eyes still work. He talked about Romans chapter 3. He said this. He said... Uh, he said, God, uh, let me find it here. For if the truth of God is more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why am I also yet judged as a sinner and not rather as we be slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come whose damnation is just. Paul said, here's what they're telling. They're telling that we believe you do evil so that it will... Re- eventually and ultimately result in good and he said I don't believe it and it won't do it. it it's blasphemy he said it's falsely reported and by the way can I just throw this in here it's not in the sermon I won't charge you any extra Paul said I would not do evil that good may come but there's a crowd running around in our churches they call themselves Calvinists who think that God authored evil that good may come as a result of it but Paul said I wouldn't do that And if Paul said he wouldn't do it I don't think God would do it either God is not the author of evil. God is the author of good. If God did something and it turned out evil, it's because man got his hands in it. Amen. When God got done in the garden, He looked at it and said it's good. But when Adam got through with it, sin had come into it. And man is the one that messes things up. God doesn't mess things up. Now that wasn't in the sermon. I didn't intend to say it, but I enjoyed hearing myself say it. He will not allow himself to be compromised. He said, I'm going to be for peace, even if they're for war. Then he said this, I'll not, and I like this word because I hear it all the time. He said, I'll not allow myself to be canceled. Look in verse seven. He said, I am for peace. Now watch this little phrase, but when I speak. That's an interesting phrase. He didn't say if I speak or in case I speak or I might speak. He said, when? He said, there ain't no question about it. I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something about the truth. He said, I may not get the response I want, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm going to tell the truth anyway. You know what? The world wants us to shut up. They want us, they want us to be quiet. They want us. I remember when Mr. Obama was the president, and he kept talking about freedom of worship. But you know the, the Bill of Rights. The Constitution does not guarantee freedom of worship. It guarantees freedom of religion. There's a big difference. And what he was trying to get across was inside these four walls when we worship at the house of God, we have freedom. But we don't have freedom to live what we believe out there. That's why he would always say freedom of worship and not freedom of religion. But we have freedom of religion and not because it's guaranteed by the Constitution, because it's guaranteed by God. It is our God-given right and our God-given duty. So we need to speak up. You don't have to be obnoxious about it. You don't have to be hateful about it. But you ought to say something. You ought to say something. You say, "Well, preach, if I say something, it'll cost me something." Yeah, and it cost Jesus His own blood to die on the cross so that you can be saved. It cost many a prophet his life. It cost many, many a Christian some burned at the stake, some drowned, some hunted down like animals. I remember reading about John Brown in a book by Jock Purvis called Fair Sunshine, the Scottish Covenanters*. I remember John Brown preaching that it was illegal to preach in those days, but he went out and preached in the woods and preached in the barns. And one day the dragoons captured him and captured his whole family and they had him in the house and they... Shot. They shot some of his children, and his wife was standing there. And, and they were going to shoot John Brown. And the sergeant of the dragoons said to him, "Make your peace with God." And John Brown got to praying for Scotland and praying for those soldiers that God would save their souls. And when it came time for them to shoot him, uh, they were all none of them would none of them would raise their muskets. They were all under conviction. And so that sergeant, that hardened sergeant, pulled his pistol from his belt and shot John Brown in the head, killed him right there in front of his his wife, after they would already killed some children. And then he said this to her. He said, what do you think of your fine husband now? She said, I think more of him now than I've ever thought of him since the day he was born. Are you listening now? We well, ought just say something. You say, well, it'll cost me something. Well, it cost Jesus something for you to be saved. It cost those that went before us. It cost our forefathers. It cost our sweet mothers. It cost them something. Let's speak up about the truth. Let's tell the truth to somebody. Not if I speak, when I speak. Now I'm done, but I got two postscripts. Here's the first one. Kedar. He said, I got Meshach and Kedar to deal with. Interesting thing about Kedar. When you go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, let me read you three verses. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise from the end of the earth. Ye that go down to the sea and all that is therein, the isles and inhabitants thereof. This is Psalm 42, 11, Let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voice. Listen now. The villages that Kedar doth inhabit. Let the inhabitants of the rocks sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory unto the Lord and declare His praise in the islands. Now the psalmist just got done telling us that that crowd in Kedar would not listen. But now Isaiah tells us, years later, there's a crowd in Kedar that is lifting up the name of the Lord. You know what that tells me? It tells me that when it seems like nobody's listening, there's somebody listening. You say, well, I talked to so and so. They didn't want to hear it. There might have been somebody standing around you don't know about that needed to hear what you had to say. And you may not have gotten the response you were hoping to get. It. From the one you said it to, but there might just be somebody standing in the wings, somebody in the shadows who was needing something from God. They were needing the truth, and you said it, and it changed their lives. You know, there have been times when I got done preaching, and I got, I, I, most of the time, it, it, a lot of time, maybe nearly every time. When I leave the pulpit, before I get back to the pew, I don't know if it's the devil, I don't know if it's my flesh, but somebody whispers in my ear and says, man, you made a mess of that. Man, you sure did goof that up. Man, you should have never got up. And I'll sit down and it happened to me before I even get to the pew and get sat down. And I'll sit down and think, you know, I, I didn't do a bit of good. I didn't get it. I, Nobody got any help. I wasted my time in theirs. And I, I guess it's the devil preacher. I don't know. Or maybe it's just my personality. I don't know. But that's the way i feel about it. But then somebody will come by maybe weeks later, maybe months later, or maybe I'll get a card or something and they'll say, boy... Uh, that message you preached changed my life. And I know what they mean. It was God that changed their life. But they're making reference to what was said. And I think to myself, y'all just go ahead and say it. Y'all go ahead and tell the truth. Y'all go ahead and tell somebody the truth of the gospel. And maybe the one you said it to, it didn't seem like it got anywhere. But somebody might have heard it. Somebody's life will get changed. Let's speak up. Be like Kedar. Here's my second postscript. When I read Psalm 120, I think this. This is the story of Jesus and me. Because for all of my life, long as I can remember, in the church house, the preacher would preach. And Jesus, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Christ, would try to speak peace to my heart. But I didn't want peace. I wanted war. And I'd shake my head at him, and I'd in my in my heart ball my fist up and say, "No." And he'd speak peace to me, and I'd say, "I don't want your peace. I want rebellion. I want sin. I want ungodliness." He wanted peace, and I wanted war. He was the one telling the truth, and I was the one living in a lie. Tell him I didn't need him. Tell him I didn't need what the preacher said. Tell him that preacher didn't know what he's talking about. I was Meshach and I was Kenan. And he was the psalmist. But when I was 23 years old, he came by where I was and spoke peace to my heart one night. And I laid down all my weapons of war. And I ran up the white flag of surrender. And I said, Lord, I'm done with fighting. I don't want. I don't want these lies, and I don't want this fighting. If you if you'll give me peace, Lord, that's what I want. And when I surrendered, are you listening now? Unconditionally, I didn't give him any terms. I didn't say, "Lord, if you'll do this, I'll do that." I said, "Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want." When I run up the white flag of surrender, the Lord of peace and the Prince of peace filled my heart with peace. I had peace with God. I have the peace of God which passeth all understanding, because I. I laid down my weapons uh, and I'm not at war with God anymore. Now you say, preacher, I don't have peace in my life. I don't have peace with anybody. I can't get along with anybody. Well, here's what James said. He said, From whence and come wars and fightings among you, come they not hence of your lust, which war in your members. He said, The reason there's war going on all out here is because there's war going on inside here. And the reason, dear, dear sir, the reason you're at war with your wife and dear ma'am, the reason you're at war with your husband and dear child, the reason you're at war with your parents and parents, the reason you're at war with your children, is because there's no peace in here. But if tonight you let the Prince of Peace have his way, you know what He'll do? He'll make even your enemies to be at peace with you. He'll change your life if you'll let Him give you His peace. You're going to, have, you're going to want peace, but you can only get it from Him. We're like, we're, we're like these Meshach and Kedar and Jesus is the psalmist. He's distressed over the fact that we won't let Him give us peace. But tonight at an altar, On your knees before the Lord, you could tell him you're a sinner. And you tell him you believe he's the Savior and the only Savior and the only hope. You could, as Paul put it, have repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what happened? He'll give you peace. And you can leave here with peace at peace with God. You could have peace tonight. Don't you want to have peace? peace with Him. I want you to bow your heads a moment. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Why don't you just surrender to Him tonight? Why don't you just yield to Him? If you're unsafe tonight, why don't you say, Lord, I ain't going to fuss no more. I am not going to fight no more. I've tried it my own way all this time and I've made such a mess of things. There's no peace. They're just war. They're just contention. Lord, I'm tired of it. If you give me peace, that's what I want. I want peace. You can have peace in the midst of the storm. You can have peace in the valley. You can have peace in the trial. You can have peace in your heart. Just let him have his way. Let him have his way tonight. And if you're a Christian and you're distressed. Say, Preacher, I'm just kind of overwhelmed and distressed. Why don't you come tell him about it? He'll listen to you. And he'll help you tonight. Now, Father, help us in this invitation. I pray you help your people. Lord, I thank you that you never gave up wanting to have peace with me. That you kept on coming by and offering me peace. I'm thankful, Lord, you didn't quit one day. And I'm thankful for the peace you've given me. Now, Lord, in this day we live, you help us tonight to speak up, to say something about your goodness and your glory and how wonderful it is to be saved. Help us not to live a life of distress. Help us to find deliverance with Thee. Help some struggling soul tonight. and We'll be glad and thankful. We'll give you all the glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand